The story is told of a monastery in Portugal, perched high on a 3,000-foot cliff and accessible only by a terrifying ride in a swaying basket. The basket is pulled with a single rope by several really strong men, perspiring under the strain of the fully loaded basket. One American tourist who visited the site got nervous when he noticed that the rope was getting old and frayed. Hoping to relieve his fear, he asked, how often do you change the rope? The monk in charge replied, whenever it breaks. Now, the monk's message didn't convey a deep sense of security that that tourist was so desperately looking for. And you know, our world is desperately searching for security, and yet we're living in times of increasing insecurity. From political conflict, turbulence in the economy, dysfunctional families, bullying, to our current pandemic where ambiguity is at its all-time high. With so many uncertainties in life, where can we find security? Perhaps some of us this morning actually feel like we're swaying in a basket over a 3,000-foot cliff. Well, the emphasis in the final section of Romans 8 in verses 31 to 39, where we're going to spend a few moments today, is where we can find security for our insecure souls. Paul reminds us that we do not need to fear the past, the present or the future because our security is not found in the things of the world. Our ultimate security can only be found in God's work and love through his son, Jesus. And Paul presents, in my opinion, some pretty nice arguments to prove that there can be no separation between us and Jesus. So firstly, he argues that our security is found in God's work through Jesus. As is done so often in Romans, Paul begins this new section with a question. What shall we say in response to these things? Or as the message puts it, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? Now, this question refers back to everything he's written from Romans 5 to 8, those chapters. All of those statements, all of that richness, everything can be summarized in a single line. He says, God is for us. Who then, Paul asks, can be against us? Of course, Paul recognizes that many people and things still oppose us. People hate us or at least misunderstand us. There are trials in life. People get sick, they die, they lose jobs. They struggle to feel like they belong sometimes in our messed up world. But Paul's point is that with God and our side, ultimately, none of that really defeats us. I've got some pretty amazing friends. And often when days are tough, when I'm facing obstacles or different difficult personalities and situations, I'll get a message from one of my friends who tells me that they think I'm great, that they believe in me, that they think I'm doing a good job, that they value me. And I can't even describe what sort of difference that makes in my life to know people are for me, are cheering me on, that they have my back, that they're on my side. Every Sunday during these days, I talk to my parents after church and they tell me every week, you did a great job today. I'm so proud of you. Doesn't it make a difference to know someone is for you, that they're on your side? So Paul says, if God is for us. Now this Greek word, if, in this case, doesn't mean that God's being for us is a possibility. Instead, it's a certainty. So if I'm at work, as I often am in my office, and the clock tells me that it's 2.45, I might say to Amy, who I work with, if you're going to get those girls from school today, you better get going. Now, more than likely, that statement isn't about the possibility of Amy getting her girls. It's about the definite need for her to pick up the girls, that, that need that needs to take place. And so, too, this statement isn't about the possibility of God being for us. 
It's about the certainty of God's being for us. Take a moment today and tell your soul, as a psalmist often did, God is for me. Your family may have turned their backs on you. Your child may have um, disappointed you. Your job may have disappeared into the thin air of redundancies and cutbacks. But the maker of the mountains is for you. The one who laid the floor of the oceans is with you and he's on your side. God is for you. It's not that he was for you, not will be, not might be, but is right now. There's no waiting. There's no probationary period. There's no small print to wade through. It's not dependent on whether or not you've been good or bad. He's not some kind of Santa Claus deity checking his list twice and frowning at what you did last week. No, God is for you right now. Sometimes like Jacob in the Old Testament in Genesis 42, we, we may lament everything is against me when actually God is working for us. We can enter each new day realizing that God is for us. I like to do that each morning by taking some time in his word and reminding myself of this before the day happens to me. Paul goes on to remind us that God is so for us that Christ died for us. In verses 32 and 33 in the message say, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Paul's saying, if when we were sinners, God gave us his best, now we are God's children, will he not give us everything we need? Jesus used the same sort of argument when he tried to convince people that it was foolish to worry and fear. Could God cares for the birds of the air and the sheep and the lilies. Surely he will care for you. But even more than that, the same Jesus who died for us now intercedes for us in heaven. Verse 34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You know, we're not only saved by the death of Jesus, but we're also saved by his life. In Hebrews 7, 25, it says, He's there from now until eternity to save everyone who comes to God through him. Always on the job to speak up for them. His intercession, his his advocacy ensures that we are secure. We don't need to prove ourselves. You know, people who are insecure find that insecurity is debilitating. But Jesus died and rose and intercede for us so that we can live confident, secure lives, not based on whether others think we succeed or even if we think we've succeeded, but based on a God who has already set us right, who's made us right. God is for us despite our failures. You know, all of us are pretty familiar with our failures. And so sometimes we may think, well, God might be for other people, but I've done too much wrong. I've made too many mistakes. I can't really believe that God would be for me because God knows all about me. This morning we can take heart. The man who wrote the words of Roman 8 also wrote the words of Romans 7 and how Paul had sinned. For starters, he'd persecuted the church, the first generation church. He'd watched Stephen's execution And even as Paul had become a great church planter and a writer of letters that would soon make the New Testament what it was, he battled the sinful urges of his own heart. Let me read to you from Romans 7 this morning. Romans 7, 14 to 20. 
I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Jesus died for every sin we'd commit before we accepted him. He knew in advance how we'd blow it. Jesus was also well aware that we wouldn't reach perfection. Paul never got there. He says in Philippians, I haven't achieved it yet. I'm still striving towards the goal. And they were some of the last words that he wrote. But Paul was smart. Instead of listening to Satan's accusations of his own shortcomings, Paul listened once more to the message of Jesus. And so he leaves these dark words of Romans chapter 7 to make the amazing statement as chapter 8 begins. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Is it any wonder that the early Christians simply referred to the New Testament as the good news? God is for you, just as he was for Paul, despite all that we've ever done. Have you come face to face with your sin? Well, that's great. If you're in the seventh chapter of of your own personal letter to Romans right now, it's quite possible that the best chapter of your life is right around the corner. Don't quit. God is for you. So our security is found in God's work. But as Paul wraps up chapter 8, this great chapter, he reminds us secondly that our security is found in God's love through Jesus. He, He not only defends us as a good attorney, but he loves us and nothing can separate us from that love. That's the purpose of this rhetorical question. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the expected answer is nothing, no one. We saw in Romans chapter 5 in in week 3 that God does not always shelter us from the difficulties of life because we need them for our spiritual growth. God does allow trials to come that that we might test them for our own good and for his glory. But God does not desert us. Instead, he is closer to us when we go through the difficulty of life. More than that, He gives us the power to conquer, verse 37 says. We are more than conquerors. Conquerors. Actually, literally, it says we are super conquerors through Jesus. We don't need to fear life or death, things present or things to come, because Jesus loves us. This is not a promise with strings attached. If you do this, then God will do that. The security is an established fact. Nothing can separate us from God's love. If God is for us, then who can be against us? And to make sure we get the point, Paul specifies some fears at the end of verse 35. He says, do you think that anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? 
There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing. These threats were all very real for Paul's recipients in ancient Rome. And he experiences those as well personally. But none of these threats or circumstances can separate us from Christ's love. I'm absolutely convinced, Paul says going on, that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. What a beautiful chapter this Romans 8 is, beginning with the promise of, promise of no condemnation. And here at the end, we have the promise of no separation. Know this morning that God loves you no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter who, no matter why, no matter how. So live like God is for you, like he loves you, secure in this fact. We're all completely victorious over sin and death through the one who loved us, who loves us now and will always love us. Live in that assurance that you're God's love child, that he's on your side. And just as importantly, share that good news with the people you see every day who are hurting, disappointed, worried, convinced that they have no worth in the world. As God loves us, he loves others. And I invite you to become love, that love for a world that needs to be reminded as you remind yourself that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. George Matheson wrote a hymn, a well-known hymn called, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. His name may not mean a lot to you, but there's an incredible story behind this hymn. He wrote it on the evening of his sister's marriage when he was 40 years old. 20 years previously, he'd been engaged until his fiancée learned that he was going blind. She told him that she could not go through life with a blind man and she broke off the engagement. And, and although he was completely blind by the age of 20, his blindness didn't deter him from studying for the ministry. He graduated from the University of Glasgow in, in Edinburgh with degrees in, in classics, logic and philosophy and he went on to become one of Scotland's most powerful preachers. And so here at the age of 40, still blind and unmarried, his sister's marriage brought a fresh reminder of his own heartbreak. Life hadn't turned out the way he'd wanted. In the midst of, of this sad situation, God gave Matheson these beautiful words, which he said was written in five minutes. And Anne is going to play it for us this morning. And I invite you to reflect on God's love that will not let you go and his joy that seekest you through pain. Not even the loss of human love could separate Matheson from God's love in Christ. And nothing can separate us either from God's love. <laughs> 